When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. You're here, my friends, because you believe that human potential is nearly limitless, but you know that having potential is not the same as actually doing something with it. So our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you actually execute on your dreams. Okay, today's guest has sold over three million copies of his books and is one of only three authors ever to have three books simultaneously on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. He's also the first author to take a book from blog to bestseller, and his website was generating millions of views long before that was a thing. He was nominated to Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential list in 2009, unsurprisingly, as he appeared on the New York Times bestseller list for an astonishing six consecutive years. But with titles like I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell and Assholes Finished First, his astonishing success baffled many, but not future New York Times bestselling author Ryan Holiday. Working side by side with him, Holiday quickly realized that today's guest was a brash and brilliant marketer as well as a raw and authentic author. Holiday would later detail many of the techniques that today's guest pioneered in his book Trust Me, I'm Lying. While he'll tell you that he's just a normal guy who's lucked into much of his success, his resume tells a slightly different story. He graduated college in just three years with the highest possible honors, went to Duke Law School on an academic scholarship, and has even had a movie made about his life. In 2012, however, he announced that he was going to be retiring from the genre of nonfiction he'd helped pioneer called fratire. He'd evolved as a person and wanted to begin a new journey. That journey saw him embark on psychotherapy and evolve into a devoted family man and dyed-in-the-wool entrepreneur dedicated to using commerce to help other people solve their problems. From that, his wildly successful company, Book in a Box, was born, which even in its relative infancy has already done eight figures in revenue. So please, help me in welcoming the man who turned his drunken exploits into a publishing empire that has now helped hundreds of people become published authors and share their wisdom, the former asshole who's still finishing first, Tucker Max. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Dude, my life sounds pretty cool when you put it that way. Your life <laughs> like, is I was sitting cool. over there being like, "That's some. I've done some baller stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Stuff, I, is, you never think about it on a day-to-day basis. I suppose, but, yeah, you don't. When yeah. you're interviewing somebody, though, you're when I'm right. researching them anyway, their whole life collapses down to like this basically 12-hour timeline for me where I get to go on the full journey right. of seeing you because, I mean, luckily all this stuff got captured on film. So you see you as a 20-something yeah. being interviewed by the news and people being somewhat antagonistic and yeah. um, you being yeah. you know, quite flippant and very much the, the man of your books. And then watching you go through the evolution it was yeah. really really fascinating i haven't even done that dude 
You should do it. it I it's it's pretty. I cool haven't gone back and looked at any of the media, especially like early on. I think probably because uh, the few times I've done that, I'm so mortifyingly embarrassed, <laughs> and I'm like, oh. What are you thinking? Not even like with the attitude. It's like if you're going to have that attitude, at least do it right. As someone on the outside, I'm really glad that your 20s were captured so vividly. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really grateful that mine weren't. So like, yeah. It, yeah, it would be pretty tough to look back on that stuff. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is reinvention. Like right. you, you have in full public view, which I think most people get trapped by and they're never able to get out. And I remember the first time I met you, which I think the first time we shared the same physical space was at HustleCon. And I had no idea like what to expect. Right. So it was really, because I had read, uh, I hope they serve beer in hell. Mm-hmm. And so that that's sort of my snapshot. And then fast forward, you know, however many years later, almost right. a decade later, yeah. and we meet. And so it was really, really interesting that you were so successful at getting out of that persona and establishing yourself anew. Yeah. What was that process like? So, well, the first thing was um, everyone, and I understand why everyone thinks this and they say it. They, they ask me, well, um, it's funny, you use the word persona. Most people use the word brand. And uh, what they mean is how did you change from this persona or brand to this one, meaning like, how did you change the perception of you, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but when most people ask this question, that's what they mean. That's exactly what I mean. Right, so my answer is always the same, uh, is that it's not, you can't think of it like perception, right? I never, I never thought to myself, okay, I'm projecting this, now I want to project something else, but there's this uh, hidden self that's different. Um, one of the reasons I think I was so successful, almost in spite of myself early on, is because I didn't create a like a projected front. The guy that I wrote about, the guy that um, uh, that showed up on those in those interviews, that was flippant, that all that that was really pretty much exactly who I was. Most people, most people in the public eye, you know this now. You've been in the public eye for long enough. You've met enough famous people where like you you're on stage with them or you meet them in media. And then you go to the green room and they're like something you know different, right? Like I, we know a lot of the same people. And, and a lot of those people, for better or worse, are different in private than they are in public, which is never the case for me. So for me, the change was not about how do I change my persona, it was how do I change myself, which is just a totally different thing. Right. And as I grew and changed and developed as a man and matured, it was like I left my, my quote brand behind but it wasn't leaving a brand behind. It was like, I don't want to drink and, and hook up and act stupid and party anymore. Like that was cool in my 20s and early 30s and I'm done with it and I want to change. And it was like, I almost couldn't, right? So I had to, that's why I had to like publicly retire from writing this stuff. And I had to cut all of that off and move on because to, t- to answer your question, it wasn't like, how do I change perception? How do I change brand? It was how do I change my honest, authentic self and then go in a fundamentally different direction. Um, that how was hard, dude. That? That, that's the process dude, I really want people to do. Man, that was like, so the first thing I had to do was I had to accept that this was something I wanted, right? Because look, it's not obvious that I ever had to change. Like I was doing pretty well. I was selling a lot of books. I was making money. I was famous enough, like I had plenty of girls, like I had everything that, at 19, if you had told me, 
like I was gonna have half of what I had, I would shit my pants in excitement. I'd be like, are you kidding? This is coming for me, this is amazing. And then I got it and it was like, it's not that it was bad, because it wasn't. It was fun and there was a lot of good stuff. Here's the thing, people who go, and I say this being as a person who did it, uh, someone who goes intentionally looking for fame, which I did, um, they're always, part of the reason they're doing it is to fill a hole in their soul, some sort of hole, right? And, and I, I, mean, I was definitely, um, uh, it's true of me. And then once you get that fame, you realize, as awesome as it may be, it doesn't fill the hole, right? And so then, and everyone famous, uh, in any way, shape, or form, that intentionally went to go get fame, right? Not someone who, like, is doing work on their own, and all of a sudden, you know, like, the world sees them. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about people who go, you go to Hollywood, you go to New York, I'm going to be famous. Then, you, if, if you achieve it, then you have, that, uh, you, you have that moment of truth where you realize, I got everything I wanted or more, and I'm still lonely and unhappy or whatever it is you're trying to compensate for. And you gotta have that moment of truth and ask yourself, okay, what do I do now? You know, like, do I lie to myself and tell me that this fantasy that I created in my head is everything I wanted when it's not? Or do I start looking for the truth? And so in my case, I lied to myself for a long time, right? And it's easy to, Man, when you're selling books and, and people want to interview you and girls come, like, want to hook up with you and they don't even know you, it's like, what is this magical world of celebrity? <laughs> this is incredible, right? And it's not like I was that famous, but I was, like, famous enough where, where I understood what it was like. And, um, but then it's like you go through it enough and you realize, like, oh, wow, this is hollow and empty and it doesn't really mean anything. It's just, it's like the trappings of success. And so it took me about three, four, five years to come to terms with that. That like the thing that I thought would make my life perfect didn't. And then it culminated with a movie that was made about my first book. Um, And like seeing that kind of like not do well, um, which is so, dude, think about how crazy this is. This is the most first world rich white person problem. There was a movie made about my life that didn't do 50 or 100 million dollars at the box office and it was like a crushing blow to me, right? Like that, like, which at the time was truly crushing. But if you think about that in the span of human history and and, and human suffering, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Like that's what crushed you, but it did. Um, Because that's just the way our brains work. And so it kind of culminated with that. And so then I had to like really... Meaning that becomes like a turning point for you? Yeah, it really was. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll dive in. I'll really tell you. Like there was a, actually a, a very specific moment. Um, I was in a hotel room and um, it was the, 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 the day before the movie was launching or the day it launched and we got like the numbers back and you, you know, you know immediately, right? Like, uh, and we knew. That like, you know, it's going to do fine. I think it did like a million, two million, three million at the box office, whatever. And it did really well on DVD. But like, I was expecting this to be like the next, you know, wedding crashers or uh, anything, something like that. And so um, I was in my hotel room. And dude, it was, I, I mean, I wept. At, uh, like, I cried. And like, by myself, like, didn't want anyone around, no girls, nothing. And I wept and I cried. And it was like. It was, it was an ego-cracking, 
soul-crushing moment for me, um, as ridiculous as it sounds, it was. And then from there, I had to accept, okay, I, I, I got all this fame and all this stuff I thought I wanted, and it didn't make me happy, it didn't fill the hole in my soul, and, um, and if I really want to get to the, the sort of the, the peak of the mountain, I've got to realize I'm on the wrong mountain. Like, I'm on the peak of this mountain, I'm trying to get the peak of this mountain, but they're different mountains. Mm. And so I had to go down and up. And so then that, from there, basically I realized, the first thing was I had to look honestly at myself, right? Like, why did the movie fail? Because I had an amazing book. We had an amazing script. This should have worked. And, um, of course, I started doing, what does everyone do, right? When something fails, you blame everybody else, or at least I did. Uh, I blame the director. I blame the producers. I blame, and listen, they were, they made mistakes. But then at the end of the day, I picked the director, I picked the producers, and I created a lot of issues. And all the material was there for it to do well, and it didn't, and it was my fault. And that was a, man, that was a hard turd to swallow, dude. <laughs> it was bad. Because, like, um, it, it, it's the hardest thing ever is to realize when you don't succeed, it's because of your own, it's not even like I made a... I gambled on something I lost. This should have worked. It should have. There's no reason it shouldn't have. And, and I just, it was my own fault. And so then I had to really start down that path of recognizing all the, the truths in my life that I was ignoring and I was avoiding. And they were painful and awful. And I got pretty far along that path by myself, but then I kind of reached a, a sort of an impasse. And so then I realized I needed someone to help me. And um, there's a lot of ways to get help. I picked... Um, uh, like therapy, talk therapy. And there's a lot of different types of talk therapy. I ended up uh, going with psychoanalysis, which is just a very specific type of it. And I spent four years in analysis going four days a week. What was motivating that? Was it a positive feeling of, I have the sense that I can get better? Or was it like, this hurts so much, I just yeah. need something? It, it was, it was, that's a great question. It was... It, it was not self-improvement in the sense of like, you know, like um, I'm going to go like lift and work out and get in shape. Like I love doing that, but that provides a pretty immediate reward and it's pretty straightforward. This was much more about um, unpacking painful trauma. It's not like I was just in misery every day because I wasn't, man. Like I had money. It's not like the movie failed and like I was destitute, right? Like I had money. I, like I still had uh, friends. I was in shape, I was still young, like I'm still young, like, I, like everything was great objectively in my life. Like there was, it, like I said, it was a total rich white person problems. Like I had, there was nothing to be sad about. Um, so really what it was for me was understanding that like, I had to go back to why was I looking for fame, right? Like why, why was I trying to fill this hole? What made this hole, right? And um, it goes back to me for a lot of, I had parents who just weren't very good at being parents. Like they were perfectly nice people. Like it's not, no one beat me as a kid. No one hit me or anything terrible like that, right? Like, uh, like thank God. But I just had parents who were like I, archetypical, iconic baby boomers. They just didn't care about anyone but themselves. Their whole life was about like them and they had a kid, which is fine if you don't have a kid, right? But they had a kid. And so I grew up uh, uh, sort of lonely and ignored, but in like the most Western sort of rich 
uh, middle class way. You know, like I was never hungry. I had nice stuff. I went to good schools. It was just like, I just, they just weren't good at being parents. They were perfectly fine caretakers and humans. And so I just missed a lot emotionally. And so, you know, I mean, one way to deal with trauma is um, promiscuity. And, and I don't just mean sexual, anything. You do anything to an extreme, whether it's gambling, sex, working out, achievement. Like a lot of the entrepreneurs I know, and probably you do too, I'm convinced the reason that they are so successful is because they are, it's not just they want to succeed, they are just driven beyond belief. And it's because that's their way of, of sort of filling their hole, the hole in their soul, which is at least is productive. Like, that's great. And I picked a path that, you know, a lot of people pick. I drank, hooked up. Um, I didn't really even go that far. I just wrote about it. The only reason people know me about this is just because I wrote about it in a funny way. Um, and then I kinda, it kind of took off and it led me to success. And then I kind of went a little excess. But if you ask me at 26, I'm like, no, 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 no. My parents, you know, they were fine. Everything's great. I'm perfectly happy. Are you kidding? Everything's wonderful. It's not true. It wasn't true. And I just never thought about my emotions. I had never really connected with them. I had never really, I just had never really had those conversations with myself um, or with anybody else, really. And so part of therapy was understanding, first recognizing the pain was there. Then it was accepting that it actually existed, right? Um, which is hard. Like, you think, well, if you recognize it, you accept it. But no, 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 Like, I was in denial for a long Oh, well, I'm not... You know, the, all the stories, like, uh, you tell yourself, oh, well, but other people have it worse. They do. Doesn't mean, like, that my stuff doesn't deeply impact me. Or, you know, it wasn't that bad. It may not have been. It doesn't mean that it's not having an impact on I me. Mean, all those sort of that sort of stuff. So I then had to accept all this. Then I had to give myself space to really investigate, like, okay, like, what am I feeling? Like, so really kind of connecting my thoughts to my emotions, um, which sounds like really basic, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, it, I just wasn't there. I think most people aren't. Um, what did that process but, look like? This is so useful. Right. And I don't know if you have a sense that, that this is so unique to you, it'd never be beneficial, but like, I get this question over and over and over. Right. Like, people no, I'm happy don't to know talk how to become this. aware yeah. of what they're going through. No, I'll talk about it. If, if you, if you're, if you yeah, listen, please. I'll talk about it. All right. So, uh, I mean, all I can do is tell you what I did, right? Like, I'm not going to sit up here and go, oh, here's the eight ways to do it. And I don't know. I, I only know my path. So for me, like, that's why I picked psychoanalysis, because it's, it's intense. You're going four days a week for an hour a day, right? So for four years, I did this. And what you're doing when you go is it's not like, it's not a good analyst, and I had a pretty good analyst, is very, um, it's kind of like the classic, you know, um, uh, image of like, you know, laying on the sofa and the analyst is kind of behind you. It's like that. It's mainly you're talking and then about what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and then they essentially do their best to present basically a mirror to you, right? So they ask questions or they point things out. Um, they never like say, oh, well, you're doing this wrong. They almost never give advice. They never um, tell you what's right or wrong. They're definitely not judgmental. Uh, it's very accepting. It's very, like they care. It's very caring but it's also like very reflective, right? Like it's very much like, um, kind of like the, you know, like uh, in uh, Return uh, Empire Strikes Back where like Luke goes to see Yoda and then he's like, you know, uh, he has to go in that uh, cave where it's like, he's like, what's in there? He's like, whatever you bring in there is what's in there, right? And he sees Darth Vader and he's like freaked out and 
It's like that's what analysis is. It's whatever you bring in. I love that scene in Star Wars because when he cuts Vader's mask off, it reveals yeah. himself. Yeah, it is. It's a cool moment. So, um, so for me, what my my, my analysis was very much about. I mean, it, like I, I was just in denial for a long time about like. Um, it's not that I denied that my parents were like I intellectually understood. I, I I saw them clearly for who they were. I didn't connect to the emotion of it, mm. right? Like I refused to accept that I was scared or lonely or sad. Um, I mean, I, even intellectually I would, but emotionally I wouldn't connect with that, right? The difference between me now and me, let's say, ten years ago in this realm is that now it, the emotions don't go away, right? So anyone who tells you that they have a way for you to control your emotions or get rid of your emotions is either lying to themselves or lying to you and trying to sell you something. So it's not that any of this shit goes away. It's that now I recognize it. Like, like I, I recognize the feeling, I accept that it's there, and I can like not let it overwhelm me or let it control me without understanding. For most people, the only way you can get past this stuff is to bring it out, let it, let it have its voice, accept it and then you know like see okay i I, like i know i think i'm skip skipping ahead a little on your questions but this ties directly into something uh in my life now that i'm a father right i have a three-year-old son bishop and um this happened like four months ago i'll never forget it so something like bishop knocked over a glass or something whatever he spilled something he's three and, uh, and I kind of like, you know, I was having a bad day and I was in a bad mood. I kind of snapped. I'm like, Bishop, what are you, why did you do that? What are you doing? Be careful. Like really almost exactly like that tenor, right? And like, it, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that I was snapping or being mean or whatever. I was just like talking, you know, you react, whatever, reacting. But I looked at his face. And that kid's face, man, it looked like I had stabbed him in the chest with a knife. Like, it, he was crestfallen, like broken. And I remember looking right at him and, and understand, in a flash, understanding I had done to him what my dad did to me. And at that moment, I had a choice to make about the type of man and the type of father I was going to be. Like, either I could rash, oh, well, you know, like he deserved it or I need, he needs to toughen up or I could rationalize this or I could accept that I had hurt this kid, my son, and I had done it unintentionally, intentionally, it doesn't matter. I had done it and that um, I had to accept it and then uh, deal with it, right? Deal with the fact that I had done this. And, and of course, thank God I went through therapy, right? Because I was able to see it in the moment and understand in the moment what I had done and accept it and then deal with it. And dealing with it is actually pretty easy if you'll accept that, Right? Uh, but it was really painful. I mean, you, like it's still painful to think about the fact that I did. Like I did it. There's no way to undo this. But you know, I picked him up. I said, "Oh, buddy, come here. Are, are you are you sad?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay. Why are you sad?" And he's like, "I you know I don't know." He's, I'm like, "Are you sad because Daddy yelled at you?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay. Well, you know, Daddies make mistakes too. Daddy shouldn't yell, should he? No. But Daddy makes mistakes, and what do we do when we make mistakes? We say we're sorry, and we clean it up. <laughs> like, okay, well, Daddy's saying sorry to you, okay? Because Daddy shouldn't yell. Daddy made a mistake, and Daddy's sorry. So let's give me a hug, and I'll clean it up, right? And like, um, I don't know. Like that was to me like, uh, if there's a happy ending, that's a happy ending, right? That's what therapy taught me. 
And if you had to boil down, so that particular thing to me from the outside, it sounds like ownership is, is the key there. Ownership of, of yourself and your emotions and your, a desire to seek and to feel the painful truth, not just intellectually recognize. The truth in therapy is about connecting with the emotions you are running from and feeling them no matter how painful or awful they are because almost certainly they're awful and painful to you, otherwise you wouldn't run from them. Like, you're not running from happiness, right? It's not like, oh, remember that great memory? No, no, put that away, hide that. No, 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 that's not the problem. It's the painful stuff. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Uh, Yes, I totally get that. The fascinating thing to me is, in my own life, the thing that has become the most powerful thing for me isn't isn't um, maybe internalizing or connecting to my emotions. Maybe that wasn't the problem that I had. And it's kind of interesting seeing you from the outside because there have been times in my life where I almost wish that I was a little less connected to my emotions. Right. I see now, though, that also leads to somewhere not very effective. But the thing for me that was really powerful was learning to take responsibility for everything that I did. And that that was where my entire life changed. And the most... Um, intentionally provocative, but the most unintentionally controversial thing I've ever said is around the notion of taking ownership and how people really get riled up. Now, maybe I push it too far, but I used to 
I, one of the first blog articles I wrote was about I, if I got hit by a drunk driver, I would blame myself. And people just went fucking ballistic. Well, I can see why. With that title, I can see why. So the, the take-home message is I could have made different decisions that would have had a different outcome. So right. it doesn't mean that I wasn't victimized, but being right. a victim moving forward is a choice that, that I have to make. Yeah. And once, and, and I wrote it, understand, I wrote it from a place of like, I'm giving you the best gift I know how to give you. In fact, one of the questions I was trying to formulate in my head is like, if you were going to take the gestalt of psychotherapy and hand it to Bishop and like one, just one key thing yeah. to take away, like what would that be? And, and I, I do want the answer to that question. And so writing that article was me saying the single most important thing I've learned in my life right. is that if you get hit by a drunk driver, as unfair as it is cosmically, as much as it isn't your fault from anyone else's perspective, the gift I'm going to give you is if you're willing to say, I could have made a different choice and gotten a different outcome, everything in your life will change. Right. And it's very hard Because then you take, take ownership that. of everything that happens going forward. I get it. I, know, I get your point. I, I can see how someone would misinterpret that, but the point is rock solid and amazing. Yes, own everything in your life that you have control over. You don't have control over a drunk driver, but you have control over everything that happens after that. Yeah, fuck yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, like for me, it was... Um, yeah, I, like I've never had problems taking ownership over my life. I've had problems, I think, and this might be a different version of taking ownership over your life. I've had problems recognizing painful, unpleasant truths, which I think is just actually, a, if you think about it, it's a subset of taking ownership over your life. You know, like um, the movie thing's a great example. It took me six months to a year to fully accept and clear as day it was my fault it's not like this is like some sophisticated you know multi-level thing where like i had to unpack this mystery it was clear everyone involved with the movie could be like oh dude you totally fucked this up like without but it took me a year about a year to fully emotionally own that was there a voice in your head that was like look motherfucker you know this was you no no i don't think so because that's one of the downsides of being and like this is gonna sound like a ridiculous humble brag it kind of is but one of the downsides of being smart <laughs> is that it's really easy to rationalize you know and i'm really good at rationalizing so i'm really good at creating narratives that that really are true in a way but they hide an underlying truth mm. my analysts would always say um I, I would be you know 20 minutes down the path of this amazing story that was essentially rationalizing or justifying something and she would look at me and she would say the best defenses are true because like, what I would be saying, like, I could tell you a story right now that is factually correct about the movie that would place all the blame off of me, right. but the underlying truth is that it's my fault, right? Um, so yeah, I think there are different ways of saying the same thing. I would totally 100% agree. It, it, um, that was the last step. I'd always done a good job owning my life in terms of taking action. I think I'd done a very poor job owning responsibility uh, emotional responsibility especially for the way i made other people feel a lot of times mm. i didn't i did a terrible job at that and i don't think it was that i didn't care it was that i was so disconnected from my own emotions it was like how the hell am i going to feel hers or his or yours like it doesn't even occur to you that that's a thing like why would that yelling bother you it doesn't bother me it's like well dude not everyone's like you like it, it took it took me a long time to really internalize that on an emotional level um yeah God, I hope people see this interview in the context of how um, brash and successful, by the way, you were 
early in your career and how different you feel now. Like the interviews that you did or the books that you wrote, which were all nonfiction, by the way. Oh, yeah, of course. So it, it is really, really fascinating. And especially for me, because this is over such a collapsed time period, it's like I, I really got to go in that massive swing in this really finite period of time. It's been really, really interesting. All right, I do want to get the answer to the question. If you had to wrap up yeah. your like big takeaway from psychotherapy for Bishop, What's that breakthrough you hope he never needs psychotherapy for? Yeah, so, right, if he needs, if he needs psychotherapy, then I failed as a dad, right? Uh, I mean, he'll, he's going to experience traumas in his life, but I'm just hoping they're not in the core family. The takeaway of psychotherapy is the exact same takeaway of Buddhism. They just are 180-degree diametrically opposed ways to get at the same truth. And the truth is, um, the truth is that you are going to suffer, but the way to deal with suffering is accepting that suffering and then recognizing that it is suffering, accepting it, and then letting it sort of have its say and then moving on from that, right? So, so to really condense that, I would say um, the, the, what I would tell him, this is what I try to do with him and, and, and my daughter Vaughn, is we help them connect what they're thinking to how they're feeling. Right? Because I think so many people disconnect those things. And, and that, that's why, like, even the example I gave you with Bishop, like, you know, three, year, three years old, they feel, but they don't know how to articulate their feelings. So I, I spend a lot of time with him helping him understand what he feels, you know, not telling him what he feels. Like, I'll give you a great example. Every kid falls down, they hurt themselves, right? And uh, I learned this in, uh, sort of indirectly in analysis. Early on, my wife would be like, oh, you're okay, you're okay, because her instinct is like, you know, motherly, wants the pain to go away. I said, no, 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 stop doing that. Don't do that, because what you're doing is you're actually confusing him. You're negating his feelings, because he fell down, he skinned his knee, he hurts. And you saying you're okay is a very confusing thing, because like I'm saying to my wife, you're, you're the center of his universe, you're his mom. So the better thing to say is, hey, how are you okay? And then let him tell you, no, I'm not okay. Or yes, I am okay, right? Um, that's a great example of something I learned in analysis is just understanding what am I feeling and then connecting it to what, am I, what I'm thinking. I almost think of it like two different parts of my brain, um, the feeling part and the thinking part, because actually literally, literally they are, there's, are, yeah. you have three different parts, right? But uh, you really literally do have like two different parts of your brain. And it's, it's not quite biologically, uh, neurologically accurate to say thinking is only in one part and feeling is only in another. But, if you, but roughly, you're, you're, you're close enough. Dude, I'll give you a good example. Coming in here, I was actually a little bit nervous for this interview. It, the weird thing is, is like, because I've seen uh, a bunch of your, your episodes and you get great stuff out of people. Like Simon's, Simon's uh, Simon Sinek's a good friend of mine. Um, and he... Uh, uh, like his, like has been viewed like a couple hundred million times, right? Right, exactly. So I'm showing up like, man, I can't, I can't screw the pooch on this. Like I gotta really show up and do a good job. But it didn't freak me out because like I reckon, standing right there uh, 20 minutes ago, I recognized, okay, like I got chills. It's not cold in here. I'm a little bit nervous. No big deal. Uh, I've done this before. I can talk about this stuff. Um, I just I recognized the anxiety. Mm. I accepted it, and then actually I, another technique I use to reframe it is like, okay, I'm going to reframe it as excitement and energy, and I'm going to use it to really dig deep and do like a great interview. Um, but like, yeah, like that's that's what I would tell him to take away, uh, and that's what I try to teach him 
is thinking is awesome, but emotions are kind of what drive you and you've got to connect those to really kind of have a happy, successful um, life. I love that. that. That's a pretty damn good takeaway. I want to go back to something you said. You said, I'm on this mountain. I'm at the peak of this mountain. And I had to really realize that I'm actually on the peak of the wrong mountain. And so I had to go down before I could go back up. Yeah. What, what was that process like? And so, then how did you recognize that you wanted something new? And what were you telling yourself as you knew I'm going to have to go down first? Yeah, it sucked, dude. <laughs> it sucked because you work so hard and you think this is the mountain you're trying to climb and you climb it, man. Like I climbed the mountain, right? Like I, I was there and then I kind of looked around and I realized I, I wasn't happy. I didn't really have what I wanted. I had what I thought I wanted to be happy, right? I had, like I, I, I'd set the X on the map and I got there and I actually did better than I thought I needed to be to have everything, right? Everything I wanted. I did even better. Like I would have been happy, you know, selling half a million books, right? And uh, be having one year on the bestseller list. And I went way past that. Um, and so like, uh, it was, it, t- it ties into to what you mentioned earlier. The one thing that I, I think I do better than most people, if I had to attribute my success to one thing, other than hard work, which is you can't succeed without hard work, that's just table stakes, but one thing I think I do better than most people, even successful people, is I'm always willing to face uh, the truth once I know it. Like, I'll fight it for a long time, right? I'm really good at rationalizing it. But once the truth is, like, like that's why the movie Failing was such a turning point in my life. Because you can't argue that away, right? And so, like, um, that was the thing. That was the thing that made me realize I'm at the top of this mountain and it sucks, right? Because it, it, if, it, if it didn't suck, if I was at the top of a mountain I wanted to be at the top of, then the movie failing would suck, but it wouldn't crush me. It wouldn't break me. Like that really, that cracked my grandiosity in a real way, dude. Like I really, I felt like I was going to die. I mean, which it seems ridiculous, but anyone who's really ever gone through a serious, like emotional uh, like painful thing, you know what I'm talking about. And I really totally subjectively, emotionally felt like I was going to die. And that was the thing that woke me up was like, okay, like I, like at least that started the path to understanding I'm on the wrong mountain. All right. So then how did I go down? So that's when, um, I, I finished my, my other books and I retired at the end of the, uh, the, the last book. Right. And that was a very intentional thing. Like that was kind of a symbolic, I'm a big fan of ritual and, and like I used to think weddings and all those things were so stupid and then I got older and I'm like, okay, maybe the way we do weddings is stupid but I get why you have rituals and why you do public things and what, like they, they, they are very impactful, right? Why? And, That's ri- I believe that more than you know but I want to know why you say that. Because uh, rituals done right, I think integrate thinking, feeling, and accountability in a public way, and they commit you to something that, that, uh, that you want. Right? You stand up in front of everyone and say, this is what I want or who I am or what I'm committing to, then it integrates all parts of yourself and, line, and your community and lines you up in, in, in a direction. And that happened for me. Like That's why I retired from, from Fratire. Because part of it was because I just, I'd outgrown it, man. Like I just didn't, you know, I was 35, 36 when I did that. And it's like, I didn't, you know, I hardly drank anymore. Like, I didn't go out and eat. Like, going to a bar at 35 is like, ugh, kill me, right? 25 is the greatest thing ever. 35, like, it was the worst. And so, so retiring was like a way for me to 
to step off the stage and to to find something else. So that was uh, I had that was a, a ceremony that was very important for me. Really fast before we move off that was part of the reason that you wanted to do that because the way you built your persona, everything that you wrote, you your book was literally titled "Assholes Finish First. Right. Self-identified asshole. Around the movie, there were pe- you incited a riot on yourself. Yes. So there were plenty of people that <laughs> wanted to see you burn at the stake. That had to cross your mind as you're like, I'm going to retire, and I open this vacuum for people to like pounce on me and say, "Fucking finally, it's about time this guy shut up." Like that kind of thing. Did you worry about that? Mm, not, I don't, I, not consciously. Maybe unconsciously, dude. I don't know. I grew up very independent. Right, like they they unintentionally taught me at a young age how to be self reliant. Like I was cooking my own meals at ten. I mean, like I'm never worried about losing everything or whatever. I know I can start again. I know I can handle myself. And also, I've just never worried that much what other people think. You know, like I didn't have a tight circle of people who loved me and cared about me and nurtured me, who also taught me to be very. uh, very conscious of their opinions, right? I grew up like kind of on my own, uh, it, it, and so like it never occurred to me to worry about what these people think who aren't in my life and don't impact my life. I mean, if they like me, okay, that's cool. Like I like that. If they don't like me, man, well, fuck them. Like it doesn't doesn't impact me, you know. And so that was really one of the reasons why I was able to write what I wrote. God knows I was not the first person to get drunk and throw up on myself and fall down, right? I was the first dude to write about it in an honest way under my own name. And I think the reason why is because I didn't care about embarrassing anyone because I had no one to embarrass, right? It didn't bother me what people thought. And there was no one around me that like I was going to shame by doing that. And is that part of what then made it the, gave you the ability to go down without... Too much overwhelming pressure. Yeah, it, it was like, well, let's be honest. Money helps. Like I'd sold a lot of books, and it was like, okay, I have a chunk of money. Like you know, I'm, maybe I'm not. I don't. I don't have your house yet, you know. But like, uh, I don't have a jet yet. But like, I, I don't have to work anymore, so I don't have to answer to anybody. Uh, and even if I did, I could always. There's a lot of ways to make money. I could make more money. So it was like, well, why do I care? Like it doesn't matter to me. Like I. I I've done what I had to do. I've said what I had to say about Fratire and that point in my life. And I climbed that mountain and I thought that was the peak. And then I got to the, there's, there's a great Buddhist saying, uh, when you reach the top of the mountain, uh, you'll, uh, there'll be another mountain, right? And uh, like, I, I didn't think that and then I did it and I realized, okay, great. And so it was like, all right. Uh, and then I retired. Coming down the mountain was not hard, right? It, it's really easy to lose momentum. Like it's really easy to kind of step off the stage because there's always a hundred people waiting to replace you. So that was not hard at all. Going down was easy. Climbing the next mountain was really hard because that required therapy. That required me to really be honest with myself about myself, to discover hard things, find hard truths to, to, and it it required me to shed a lot of the things that had made me successful in the last mountain. Right? Like, um, being the rambunctious, devil-may-care, flippant asshole works great if you're going to be that character, right? Or if you're going to live that. And I wasn't even a character. It was who I was. But if you're going to essentially occupy that, that, that niche. But when you're climbing a different mountain, then you've got to let those patterns go. 
And because it wasn't a brand, it wasn't a, a persona, it was who I was, I had to really kind of relearn in a lot of ways how to be successful um, and how to, how to successfully deal with people. Because if everyone knows, oh, that's that guy, that's that guy who wrote Beer in Hell, then they give you a wide berth. Like, you can be an asshole and people actually think it's funny. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's Tucker Max. He's supposed to, you know, throw up uh, on the table or whatever, right? Um, but when you're like an angel investor or an entrepreneur or at a business meeting, like, that shit doesn't fly. <laughs> like, professionals, you can't deal with that, right? And like, a serious, successful adults, like, they might, even people who like might have thought my books were funny and liked them a lot, there's just like a certain level of, of maturity that they expect, which is totally reasonable. And most of the time I was perfectly fine. There were just a lot of things that like I had to either shed or learn going up them, either about the world or about myself. It was tough, dude. It was hard. You know what the hardest part? The hardest part is I think there's this expectation that once you're successful at one thing, you just get to be automatically successful at everything else. Right? And uh, like, that's just not the truth. <laughs> uh, a good friend of mine, actually, my editor, told me this great saying. He said, Tucker, all success gets you is the conditional opportunity to prove yourself again. And at first, when he told me that, I was like, fuck you, that's bullshit. <laughs> like, I'm already successful. People should just accept my genius because I'm who I am. And of course, that's nonsense, right? Um, uh, it took me a while to relearn that. But yeah, like then it became very clear. I've got to re-earn every day, um, especially in a new arena. I've got to re-earn success. That is something I understand completely. Having exited Quest and I think everybody looking at me like I was out of my mind and knowing, I mean, we talked as a team about this is re-earning your stripes, you know? And if you know the J.J. Watt quote, which I'm sure is him quoting somebody else, but success isn't owned, it's leased, and rent is due every, every day, day yeah. right? And uh-huh. I, I just, I love that beyond measure. Do you meet that with excitement? Do you meet that with trepidation? Like, how do you think about... It's definitely excitement. It's not, it's actually both, man. I don't think, I think those, those are two sides of the same coin. I'm excited, so I am blessed enough, I've worked hard enough and made enough money that I get to pick what I want to do, Right. Um, not everyone has that, uh, that ability, although I think more people have that ability than they realize. But, um, so I, I wouldn't be doing the company that I'm in the business of in if I didn't like it. If I didn't, if it didn't, if I didn't wake up excited to go do this, I would not do it. Um, talk to me about your willingness yeah. to fire yourself as a CEO. Yeah. Uh, that's hundred percent because of therapy. That's another one. A hundred percent. Like, uh, in fact, one of our clients was this guy, JT McCormick. He was the president of a $100 million software company, just like another software company in Austin. And he had like come on when they were $2 million uh, as a sales guy and had become president like in six months and scaled the, the company, oh. like, turned them huge, like 100 people, whatever. And this is after he'd already run, he'd, he'd had a long history in, in sort of scaling businesses and doing all kinds of cool stuff. And I kept going to him for advice. Like, dude, what do I do with this? And he's like, oh man, you guys are dicked up. You gotta do this and this and this, right? And he kept giving me all this amazing advice. And so I started like inviting him to our like executive meetings, at, like asked him to be an advisor. And eventually he's like, look man, no offense, I don't think you can handle this. And I'm like, I know I can't, that's why I keep coming to you for advice. And he's like, why don't you just hire me? I'm like, dude, you, you made last year in salary 
probably about what we made in top line revenue. Like, we can't <laughs> afford you, don't, don't be ridiculous. I'm like, when we get to 10 million, we'll hire you. He's like, no, 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 you're not gonna make it to 10 million uh, doing what you're doing now. He's like, you actually need me now. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, but we can't afford it. He's like, yeah, let's talk. So um, turns out his company hadn't given him any equity and he was kind of looking for his next thing. Mm. And he loved our process. Like, I, and I sat down with him, painted sort of our long-term picture because like uh, about what, we, what, what, what our vision was and he was totally on board. And um, he's like, I'll come on as president. You can stay CEO. Like I'll take over ops, whatever. You can be you. You can be the face of the company, all this sort of stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's bullshit. Like if you come on, you need to be the CEO. I will step aside because uh, like everything you're gonna be doing pretty much are CEO tasks. And so if you are president and I'm CEO, then it's like, it's bullshit. I'm just a figurehead. I'm like, I'm really good at certain things. Like I'll, clearly I'll stay in the company. I'll, I'll go run marketing. Um, I'll go you know, run product um, and, and you run the company, you scale the company. And it was hard for me at first uh, to like kind of accept that. It was, but when I say hard, it was like a couple days, right? Um, and what was that process? Because that is exactly what I want to understand. Yeah. The, the number of people that can do that from an ego standpoint is the only vanishingly reason, slim. The only reason I could do that is because of therapy, man. It's because what happened on the movie, because uh, I know the last time I tried to keep control of everything, I ruined it. And I went through therapy, and I, I kind of addressed that stuff in me. You know what it came down to, Tom? It came down to, did I actually care about our mission and our team, or did I care more about myself? Because if I cared about the mission and the team, clear as day, JT should be CEO. Mm. And if I cared more about myself, then I should say CEO. And once I framed it that way, then it was, it was a painful decision, but it was easy. I love that. All right, before I ask my last question, where can these guys find you online, learn more about Book in a Box? Yeah, so bookinabox.com, pretty simple. Um, me, I have a site called tuckermax.me, where I actually wrote a whole article about why I stepped aside. And then my email is tucker at book in a box. Um, that's probably the best place, yeah, to start, I think. Awesome. All right, what is the impact that you want to have on the world? I got to give two answers because one is going to seem trite and probably won't be fulfilling for the audience, but it's the God's honest <laughs> truth answer. And then the second one is also true, but is like the second thing I would say, but is something I think the audience will, will take more from. So the, the impact I most want to have on the world, God's honest truth is I feel like I will be a success at life if my children, I have two now, Bishop and Vaughn, and if they look back after I'm gone and they are, they miss me and they love me and they uh, are proud to be my kid um, and they feel like I, my wife and I gave them everything they needed uh, to succeed at life or to set them up, because they're going to have to fight their own battles, but we, we set them up the best possible way. Um, I feel like that's the impact that's most important to me. If I'm a hero to my kid, a true honest hero to my kids, that's the impact that matters the most to me, um, by far. Now, in terms of impacting the world outside of my children, um, it's the company I'm working on now. Uh, I, like, it, it, from the outside, it's like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we help people write books, right? Okay, pretty simple. But I think it's a lot more than that. Um, one of the great tragedies of human history, I feel like, is when 
Caesar got mad at Cleopatra and burned the Library of Alexandria, which at the time held basically all of the world's knowledge. Like the Egyptians were obsessive. They were obsessive scribes about like copying essentially what everyone else knew. And the, the, at the time it was said that the Library of Alexandria had at least one copy of, of all like recorded knowledge. And, um, and it burned and, and so like a huge swath of wisdom was lost. And I feel like now, even though we have so much technology and so much um, sort of ability to record knowledge, I think almost everything that's recorded is essentially garbage nonsense that no one will care about in even a week, much less uh, a lifetime. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's so many smart people who know so much who don't record their knowledge. Uh, They don't, and not because they're bad, not because they're trying to hide it, not because anything, but uh, because it's hard to really turn your knowledge into, and it doesn't have to just be a book, but to take your knowledge out of your head and put it into a form that you can share with others that they can utilize in their life, right? And um, I just feel like I have the ability, um, and, my, and my team and my tribe at Book in a Box, we have the ability to unlock the world's wisdom. Right, to get it out of people's heads and to get it into not just books. Books are what we're doing now, but we plan to expand to a lot of different verticals. But essentially, we want to create a community that can take people who know things that are valuable to others, like know how to do things, right? Or how to, how to anything that's valuable, put it into recordable, shareable forms um, and share it with the world. People who aren't good, like you've got the resources and the ability, you're good at media, so you can get your wisdom out of your own head. But how many people are... Uh, know maybe not as much as you but know like the equivalent in their niche but either don't have the time or the money or or, or the uh, uh, desire to go to all this effort right why should their knowledge die with them god knows man what what i wouldn't give to know at 18 what i know now or at 25 what i know now right what would you pay when you started quest <laughs> to have a book that 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 of what you know now just about yeah. the, the like that business right it would be priceless so that's, that's the impact that we are trying to have as a company, um, is we're trying to, to unlock the world's wisdom. Yeah. I love that, man. Thank you so Thank you. much for coming on the yeah. show. It's absolutely incredible. Guys, this is somebody who I'm telling you is the most amazing example of the extremities of human transformation that I've ever seen in my life. Do yourself a favor. Go look at where he started. Read some of the early books. And then watch this interview again. It, it is unimaginable the lengths to which you can reinvent yourself, change yourself, if you're willing to do the hard work, to look inside yourself, to do what he says and really connect what you're thinking to what you're feeling and most importantly, know what mountain you're actually trying to summit and make sure that you have a plan to get there and to have the internal fortitude, the sense of self to be able to go down that hill first. And I know this is where a lot of people get lost. You get that first level of success and you've still got the ego in the way and you're not able to allow yourself to descend before you go back up the other side. You don't have the humility to recognize that what stands between where you are and where you want to go is a really hard to acquire set of skills that's going to require a lot of work internally and externally to get that. We didn't even get to talk about his background in MMA and I'm guessing that's where the bruises on the arms come from (laughs) and what he's learned on the mat. And one thing that... um, I came across in the research that I just thought was really incredible as he says that he feels a sense of gratitude to everyone that he grapples with because they give him a chance to show where he's really at. 
and I love that. And I think in life, in business, in your family, in everything, that you do owe the people that show up to really let you show yourself where you're at and to be who you are at that moment um, and, and then are going to be on that journey with you as you change and push and grow. I think it's absolutely incredible. And honestly, honestly, in all the people that I've interviewed, this guy sums that up the best and is one of the most profound transformations I've ever seen and doesn't bullshit. He says, look, I, I enjoyed who I was then. So this isn't that. It's not me running away from something. It's me really evolving as a human being, reassessing what I want, doing the work, looking inward and becoming something new. And I think that is absolutely incredible. So... I hope you guys take as much away from this as I did. It was really incredible. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Thank you, dude. Amazing.